Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. So much of what it is to exist in the modern world, or even to be a human, revolves around talking with other people. We're just an irrepressibly social species, and yet there's always so much more to learn about communication. From the chats we have here on the show, to the ones you have with friends and colleagues, to those political conversations, there's some skill building that can be done. And our guest Charles Duhigg has gone out across the different realms and brought back the people who've mastered particular pieces of the art of communication for his new book, Super Communicators. First hint, a lot of it is about listening. So stay tuned. He's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Good to be back with you all. I missed you last week. I was floating in a pool in Joshua Tree. This morning, we're joined by Charles Duhigg, author of several books, including The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business, which spent more than 60 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, as well as Smarter, Better, Faster, book on productivity. He's carved out a special place in the nonfiction world, crafting a new, better kind of self-improvement book that features narrative portraits of real people draped gently over cutting-edge social science. And that technique works beautifully in Duhigg's new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. It's a practical, immersive guide to doing conversations better, which just might mean doing life better. Welcome to Forum, Charles. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) So underlying this book, there's a simple but very powerful idea, which is that in any conversation, there's kind of multiple dimensions to even a simple exchange. So I think my question is, in this book, like, what is a conversation? <laughs> oh, that's a great. That's a great question. A conversation is any time that like there's a give and take, right? That you and I are are sharing something back and forth. And and for me, um, you know, we're both journalists. I always thought I was good at conversations. <laughs> um, and then I fell into this pattern with my wife, the person I've, I've had more conversations with than anyone mm-hmm. else in my life. That sort of drove home for me how little I know, which is that, and I think everyone's experienced this in one way or another. There would be these times I'd come home from work after a long day. And I would start complaining to her, like Mm. signaling that I wanted to have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And she would respond very practically by saying like, oh, like, here's a solution. Why don't you take your boss out to lunch? You guys can get to know each other. And that should have been a conversation. But instead, I would get even more upset. And I'd be like, Mm. why aren't you supporting me? You're supposed to be outraged on my behalf. And then she would get upset because I was yelling at her for, Mm. you know, trying to to offer a a practical solution. And 
And so I think that conversations are any time we have a back and forth, but that does not mean it always goes well. Huh. And is that just because like in that situation that you're describing, there's kind of a mismatch in the type of conversation that the two of you are having? That's exactly right. So I went, I went, I was bewildered by this, right? Because I'm supposed to be a professional communicator. And so I went to all these experts and I asked them what's going on here. And what they said is, well, actually, we're living through this golden age of understanding communication, really for the first time because of advances in neural imaging and data collection. And they said the main thing that we've learned is we tend to think of a discussion as being about one thing, right? You're talking about your day or you're talking about your kids. But actually, every discussion is made up of different kinds of conversations. Hmm. And in general, they fall into one of three buckets. There's usually these practical conversations where we're solving problems or making plans. There's emotional conversations where I tell you what I'm feeling, and I don't want you to solve my feelings. I want you to empathize. Mm -hmm. And then there's social conversations, which is about how we relate to each other and the social identities that are important to us. And they said, when people are miscommunicating, it's because they're using different parts of their brains. And so... In the situation with me and my wife, you were having an emotional conversation using the interior mm -hmm. deep parts of your brain. Your wife was having a practical conversation. She was using the prefrontal cortex. And so as a result, you could not get aligned. You could not achieve what's known as neural entrainment. Hmm. And that's why you miscommunicated because you actually had trouble hearing each other. Because you're you're literally kind of listening in a different way or thinking in in ways that just um, don't make sense in, in if you're having a how do we feel conversation. It kind of doesn't make sense to try and solve a problem. That's exactly right. And, and even more than that, our bodies and our brains become aligned when we communicate. It, communication has been homo sapiens superpower. It's allowed us to sort of succeed where other species haven't. And, and the way that it works is right now in this conversation you and I are having, we're not aware of it, but our pupils are dilating <laughs> at the same rate and our breath patterns are starting to match each other. And even more important, the activity within our brains is becoming more and more similar, which makes sense because when you think about it, if I describe to you a feeling, an emotion, or I, I tell you about an idea, you actually experience that feeling. You experience a little bit of that idea. That's, mm -hmm. why, that's why communication works. And so it makes sense that our brains would become aligned. But if you're having an emotional conversation and you're using the amygdala and the parts of your brain that are the brainstem in particular that are really devoted to emotions and I'm having a practical conversation, I'm using the prefrontal cortex, the part behind my forehead, then it's hard for our brains to start to look mm -hmm. alike. Mm. And so we, we actually have trouble hearing each other. Yeah. And is the solution to that, I mean, both simple and radical, which is to say like, hey, what kind of conversation are we having here? Is <laughs> yes. it that simple? Is it like that's all you're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's often well, so now when I come home and I start complaining, my wife will often say, uh, "Do you want me to help you solve this problem, or do you just need to like complain and vent and get this <laughs> off your chest?" So yes, part of it is you can definitely ask. In in schools, sometimes they teach teachers to ask students, "Do you want me to hear you, help you, or hug you?" Which are the three kinds of conversations. But often can I have all three? Can yeah, have you can have all three, three anytime you want it. But 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 most of the time, like that's a little awkward, right? To and so what we can do is we can just look for clues about what kind of conversation is going on. And, and once we know what to look for, it's not that hard. Hmm. Um, what clue should I be looking for? So I think that the first thing that you can do is you can ask questions. And, and there's a special kind of question that's known as a deep question that will illustrate what kind of conversation. Like you're saying a deep question has a technical meaning for you. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. So a deep question is something that ask someone to about their values, their beliefs, or their experiences. And that sounds kind of overwhelming, but it's actually pretty easy. Like if I bumped into you and you said, oh, I'm a lawyer, I could say, oh yeah, what made you decide to go to law school? Mm. Or like, what do, you, what do you love about practicing law? 
Those are both deep questions because they're asking you to tell me something kind of intimate about yourself, about mm-hmm. your experiences. And the way that you answer that question is going to tell me what kind of mindset you're in, mm-hmm. right? The, the same person might answer it two ways. They might say, oh, I went to law school because I really wanted a steady job. Okay, that person's in a practical mindset. But that same person might, in a different day, say, oh, I went to law school because I saw my uncle get arrested. Mm-hmm. That's more of an emotional, perhaps even a social conversation. What's I went to law school because I didn't know what to do after college. And I wanted to be in the upper middle class. Isn't that? No, that's, that's not the answer. That's, I think, the most honest answer that many people could give. <laughs> um, we're talking with journalist Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Writes for The New Yorker and is also the author of The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Thinking about those deep questions, it's funny, Charles, because that is part of what we oftentimes ask listeners. We're not asking for necessarily like, just give me the facts we're asking for. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Why do you feel that way? Share an experience, relate a memory, right? And it does feel like when we get those types of calls, it it tightens the community or tightens the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the best way to think about deep questions is when you're in a conversation, don't ask someone about the facts of their life. Ask them how they feel about their Hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right, because what happens when we answer one of those deep questions is we usually expose something a little bit vulnerable. Now, vulnerability has this, like, let me explain exactly what vulnerability mm-hmm. is. If I ask you, you know, what made you decide to go to law school? And you say, oh, man, I've just always loved reading science fiction, and I thought I could read a lot of sci-fi while I was in law school. <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. You're exposing me to judging you. And that feels that feels special. Now, you might not care about my judgment. Uh-huh. You might say, I, I, I wanted to be in the middle class. That's, again, exposing. I could judge you for that. I could criticize you. And you might not care what my criticism would be, but the fact that you've exposed something about yourself, mm-hmm. that feels intimate. And if I reciprocate that, if I hear what you're saying and I say, oh, I totally understand, like, I actually, you know, became a journalist for the same reason. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had this experience when I was a kid. That reciprocal vulnerability, that, that makes us trust each other more. It makes us like each other more. It helps us connect in that neural entrainment where our brains become similar. And so I think when callers are calling and they're answering their deep questions in a real way, we love it because we're learning something meaningful about them. Yeah. We're talking with Charles Duhigg. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, do you have like a pivotal conversation where you feel like it, you failed or succeeded at communicating with the other person and kind of what happened? Like... Do you remember? You can email us forum at kqed.org. Go to the different social channels. There's digital community over on Discord. And you can give us a call, of course, 866-733-6786. It's a pivotal conversation where you feel like you, you failed or succeeded in communicating um, with another person. 866-733-6786. I feel like I actually grew up with something of a super communicator like my mom was yeah. amazing at generating that reciprocal vulnerability you know we'd be like at the mall and suddenly it'd be like two hours later she'd be still talking with the lady and the, you know, I'd be like <laughs> hiding in the racks of Nordstrom you know like god are we still here but in retrospect I think it was actually kind of an amazing thing to yeah. watch someone move through the world like that just communicating basically effortlessly all along the way. Okay, so let me ask you some questions because I'm I'm yeah, fascinated by sure. this. What do you do now that you feel like is an imitation of your mom? Oh, without even realizing it. 
You know, I, I ask, I do with the people as I'm moving through the world, I do, I ask people, you know, how's your day going? Yeah. You know, like I do, I, I open the space for a conversation with people, even in a, in a transactional thing or right. like out on the street or like waiting for Bart or whatever. Like I'm open to that, those conversations. And when your mom would do that with you or with other people, or with you, how how would that make you feel? Like, oh, it feels it feels great. It, yeah, you know, yeah, it feels amazing. And and actually, <laughs> yeah. our brains have evolved to crave that feeling, right? Yeah. In order to make us good communicators, because people who could communicate millions of years ago tended to live longer than those who couldn't. Yeah. They could form families and villages. Our brains evolved to to get a pleasure sensation from connection. Yeah. Now, my guess is, and tell me if I'm getting this yeah. wrong. My guess is that when your mom was talking to you and she would do that or or and when you're talking to the barista and you're asking mm-hmm. about their day when they answer you prove to them that you're listening. Oh, that's interesting. Um well, mom, if you're out there, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe only sometimes perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, I do uh I I I know what you mean. I like that idea that what you're saying is I, I have read your book and I know that like looping back through to make sure I've understood you is an important part of what it is to kind of close the loop or strengthen the the circuit of communication. The, particularly in, in conflict situations, right? When we have like a little bit of tension between us or we disagree. But even just day to day, like we've all been in that situation where someone asks us, how you doing? And we're like, oh, we're doing, I'm doing really good. I had a great day. And they're like, okay, good. Can I, can you take my coffee order now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They're not listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Or right, we're right. in an argument with someone and we suspect like, you're just waiting your turn to speak. You're not listening to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that one of the most powerful things you can do is prove that you're listening, even just by asking a follow-up question, even just by saying, oh man, I'm so glad you had a, a, a good day or, oh mm-hmm. yeah, it's a rough week. Like yeah. what, what's, what's rough about it? Yeah. Like just showing someone we've listened, that makes it they it makes us so much closer. We're talking with journalist Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators: How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. I want to hear from you. Do you know any super communicators? What do you think is special about people who are able to draw others out? You can email forum at kqed.org or give us a call 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. You may have read some of his previous work, like The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. 
So the frame for this book is about sort of super communicators. Like that's kind of how you help people synthesize this social science that you're drawing on here. So what are the elements of someone who you see as a super communicator? Yeah, we've learned a lot about them. And 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 I think that one of the easiest ways to answer this is to ask people a simple question, which is, and I'll ask you this, if you were having a bad day and you wanted to call a friend who you know would make you feel better, does the person who you would call, do you know who that is? Do they pop in your head? Oh, that's interesting. Um... Boy, my mom's getting a lot of play <laughs> on the air today. <laughs> Mother's Day. Yeah, you're a right, good son. Right, yeah. So, so for you, your mom is a super communicator, and you're probably a super communicator back for her. And and everyone who's listening, there's probably someone who popped into your brain that you're like, that's the person I call, you know, Greg or Susie, who just makes me feel better. Now, some people can do that consistently. Some people can connect with almost anyone. Sounds like your mom's probably one of those yeah. people. And here's what we know about them. We know that these folks tend to ask more questions than the average person, like 10 to 20 like a lot, times. right? Yeah, that 10 to 20 times. And some of the questions are like, oh, yeah, what'd you think about that? Or, huh, that's interesting. What happened next? Like, we don't even notice them as questions because they're designed to invite us in. Mm. But some of them are those deep questions that we were talking about. Mm. They do other things, too. Like, they, they pay close attention to signals that you might be feeling emotional or practical or social, and then they lean in. So mm. a great example of this is like, you know those before a meeting starts, you're talking to your coworkers and you're like, what'd you do this weekend? And someone says, oh, I went to my kid's graduation. It was great. And the most natural thing to do is say, oh, congratulations. That's great. Now let's get down to the agenda. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a super communicator will say, oh man, that's really, like what did it feel like watching them walk across the stage? Was that amazing? Yeah. They, they see these signals and they respond to them. And then the third thing that they do is they just show you that they want to connect. And oftentimes when we go into a conversation, we are scared that we're boring the other person. We are scared that they're not listening. We're scared that we're going to be bored. We're going to say the wrong thing. When someone shows us, I really, I, I want to connect with you. Hmm. It feels, um, it feels amazing. It feels like when your mom talked to you. Yeah. Um, let's bring in Kelly in Santa Rosa. Welcome Kelly. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to share a communication fail. Um, <laughs> and I, and before I tell the story though, my question is revolving around people who appear to be in one bucket, but are actually in another. Ah. Um, so, you know, I was working on a project with a coworker and we weren't agreeing on the project. We weren't agreeing on how to approach it. Um, and it got kind of tense, but I tried to, you know, de-escalate it. And I removed myself. Later came up to me and said, Kelly, you know, I've heard from several take criticism very well. And I froze, first of all, mortified mm. that other people felt that way, if that mm. was even true. Mm. But secondly, I was in a box now. She trapped me. I, I, If I defended myself, it would reinforce her point. So... Again, I just kind of uh, appeared shocked mm -hmm. and, and tried to just remove myself. Um, and I would, I would, you know, in, in retrospect, I would think that's a practical approach, you know, just trying to assess my behavior and see if we can get mm -hmm. onto the same page. But it was definitely a dig, mm -hmm. and it and it it lighted on an insecurity. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. how do you try to get on the same page with somebody? who wasn't clear about 
the way in which they're communicating. Or are maybe a big jerk. <laughs> um, or, uh, yeah, uh, that, yeah, no, and I, no, Kelly, Kelly, stay with us for a second here. Um, Charles, I actually do think this is a really good question yeah. because it's basically, at least to me, in the book, most of the time, you're talking about two people who are in good faith, who are trying to have a conversation. What do you do when you're you either the other person is not in good faith, which is what I'm hearing really in Kelly's story, or you just don't know yeah. if they're in good faith or where they're coming from or how to think about their role in the conversation. Well, it sounds like in a situation like that that it, it, let's let's give the the coworker the benefit of the doubt and let's assume <laughs> that they it's were nice coming to tell. you and they they wanted to have a practical conversation. They were saying, "Look, I have some feedback to give you and I've been told they're doing it completely inartfully, but they're saying I have some feedback to get, give you and I've been told that it's that that you have a hard time hearing feedback and I'd like to figure out how to give this to you in, a, in an appropriate way. That's a, that's a very practical conversation, but but unsurprisingly, you're not in a practical mindset, right? Like this feels like an attack. <laughs> mm-hmm. And sometimes just saying to someone, look, I would love to talk about this practically with you, but I need to take a minute because what you've said, like it makes me feel, it makes me feel bad and a little bit of shamed and sad mm. and sharing your own feelings it's almost impossible for that other person then to be like, well, I don't care. Let's just talk about like what, how, like what you did wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. The TPS report though. Just yeah, exactly. Not, yeah. So yeah. you're, so inviting someone to match you within psychology, there's this thing known as the matching principle that says that to have a, a, a proper conversation, a meaningful conversation, we have to have, be having the same kind of conversation at the same moment. And sometimes that means matching other people, but sometimes it means inviting them to match you mm. by saying, look, I, I understand you probably have some legitimate concerns, but I'm having trouble hearing mm. them right now because because I feel emotional about this, can I just share with you what I'm feeling? Wow. Would I mean, that would that have helped, you think? Enormously. I, I mean, and also that approach, you know, uh, let's work on this together. Let's yeah. be a team about it uh, would have been great. Also, if she hadn't done it in front of our boss, that probably <laughs> yeah. would have helped. So, so, so it might have been in and bad faith. You know, yeah, and, and, yeah and, and it's hard to recover from that, too. Oh, totally. Um, you know, that happened... It was probably a year ago. I was actually taking a communications class at the time. I wrote a paper about it. I got an A. <laughs> it's traumatic. And I have not made uh, eye contact with that person since. Totally. Yeah. And and the, the other thing to keep in mind is not everything has to be a conversation, right? Like when I'm talking to my kids and I say to them, like, I want to have a conversation about your rooms. I don't actually want to have a conversation about the rooms. I just want them to go clean up their rooms. And sometimes when we're at work, people... People pose things as a conversation, but actually they're trying to win points in front of their boss. Right, right. And so part of this is realizing, like, what is a conversation and what isn't? And if it's mm-hmm. not a conversation, you don't have to participate. Yeah. Um, Kelly, thanks so so much for that uh, example, live example. Um, and A for the call as well. Um, <laughs> thanks so much. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, Thank you. Bye. I... Uh, the other thing that Kelly said, which I thought was really interesting, just just listening to the actual language that she used um, in the conversation, she said a couple times, you know, I needed to remove myself. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I thought that was really interesting that super communicators seem to do in this is that they're also adding a bit of themselves, right? They're, you're, and even your suggested advice was about kind of giving a little more as opposed to pulling back or removing yourself, which I thought it's like... It's it's a little bit counterintuitive, I think, in, in when we say, okay, people love listening, but they also need a little bit of you in there as well. Absolutely, because otherwise it feels like an interview or an interrogation, right? Mm. And and one thing that's interesting, and this gets to Kelly's point, 
the loudest form of communication that we can use is when we express a vulnerability. And again, this has evolutionary roots. In a state of nature, being able to listen and figure out who's vulnerable and who isn't, who's authentic and who's inauthentic, that's critical for survival. And so if I say something vulnerable to you, you can't help but listen to me. Hmm. It dominates the conversation. Now, that means that when I say something like, I'd like to talk about your comments, but I need to tell you how I'm feeling first, everyone else in that room is going to stop yelling and, hmm. and they're going to listen to me. Hmm. And that's why adding ourselves to the conversation is so important because otherwise, otherwise we're just an observer. We're not hmm. revealing anything about ourselves. That sounds great. On the other hand, then you have to be vulnerable. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but being vulnerable is actually yeah. easier and less scary yeah, yeah. than you think it is. There's um one of my favorite examples of this is that there's a there's an experiment that was done where um and I've done this a couple times myself. Uh, a researcher goes into a room. In this case, it was a bunch of hedge funders, and he tells them, "I want you to turn to the person next to you, a stranger, and ask them when's the last time you cried in front of another person." And then they're going to ask you back. You're both going to ask an answer. Mm -hmm. And before we do it, let me ask you, do you think this is going to be fun? And everyone's like, no, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. I don't want <laughs> yeah, to do yeah. this. Yeah. And then they have the conversations. And 10 minutes later, they're talking about how this is one of the best conversations they've ever had. It's because being vulnerable, it seems scary mm. until we do it, at which point we realize, I, if you judge me negatively, I don't care. It just feels good to say something true about myself. Hmm. Hmm. When was the last time you cried in front of somebody else? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Like two days ago, <laughs> I was I was like watching like some sappy like you know Google takes all those photos of your kids and oh, puts them to music. God. I was like bawling. Yeah, yeah. Those I mean those are cruel at they times, are right? Cruel and like, unusual punishment. Come on. <laughs> um, for me, it was watching the movie Bardo. That Bardo just had me cry. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, you see it if you want a good cry. Okay, good. Middle, middle of the day. I'll watch it on an airplane. I think yeah, it'll watch go really well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, let's bring in Allison in Oakland. Hi. Hey, Allison. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm loving this conversation, and I think you've already answered my question in some ways um, because of Kelly's wonderful call. Mm. But I work as a leadership and development coach. And so professionally, I'm, I'm really well trained and suited for conversations and supporting others. And I'm really fascinated when it comes to our personal relationships, mm. um, which I think is where this topic kind of started for you, is what you're saying, right? And your yeah. awareness in your marriage and those conversations. And particularly the point you said around like when we're having the same conversation, right? Like both practical or both emotional but I find that sometimes when we're both having an emotional conversation, like that we're missing each other and we're mm. um, like, we're both maybe, I think like the fullest conversations I have is when I'm able to like move between like the practicalities and the emotions. Yeah. Mm. But when we're both maybe like not very resourced in those like emotional conversations, it seems like it can be really hard to communicate. And so I'm wondering how you would navigate that. Yeah, it's um, a great question. And and one thing to yeah. emphasize is when we have a discussion, it's not just one kind of conversation, right? It, it often moves yeah. between different kinds. Mm -hmm. And the, the goal is to kind of get aligned so we're moving together, right? We start emotional together, then we talk about practical, go back to emotional, then talk mm. about some social stuff. And, and, you know, there's a story in the mm. book about, um, about the CIA officer who is – 
It's his first job. He's sent overseas to record to recruit spies, and he's like terrible at his job. And and it's all falling apart. He's actually told he's going to get fired. And so he takes until he takes this one young woman out to to a meal who worked for the foreign ministry in her home country. And he had tried to recruit her previously. And she had just like started crying and leapt up from the table and said she never wanted to talk to him again. But she's willing to have one more dinner. And he realizes during that dinner, the problem is she's been honest with him and he's never really been honest with her. So he starts telling mm-hmm. her, like, I'm worried I'm going to get fired by the CIA because I'm so bad at this job. I'm so disappointed in myself. And that's when she can hear him and they start ta- she agrees to help him and they start talking about the practicalities of how to get that done. Oh man, I have so many questions about the CIA recruiter, <laughs> Charles. Um, Allison, do you feel like we, we got to your, your question though before I ask him about the ethics of CIA recruitment? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm curious about that and I also just really appreciate how like modeling how vulnerability can slow down a conversation and really like help us get on the same and page. That so thank honesty, you for that. I, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful yeah. that when you're in those conversations where you feel like you're not connecting, hmm. if you can say the most honest thing that you're feeling or thinking, hopefully that breaks through. Wow. Yeah. Maybe even like, I don't feel like we're connecting right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. Hey, Allison, thanks <laughs> thank so, much. so much. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Thanks for the call. Um, Allison's call and your answer brought up for me what what is I I think it's like the the most difficult intellectual struggle in the book for me personally which is I think I do a lot of these things somewhat naturally as a person as having grown up with it and and grown up around it but making some of these things conscious to me kind of feels like cheating or something yeah. like it feels like a like a like an end run on natural sociality. <laughs> and I actually think the CIA recruiter example is like an amazing example of that where I'm kind of like, should he be allowed? Should we celebrate his ability to use these social tools to recruit for the CIA? Absolutely. And like what stops someone from becoming manipulative, right? right is, exactly. is this what con like, men do? Right. <clears throat> so I, I'd answer it two ways. The first of which is to say, Communication is a tool, right? And just like an ax can be used to build a house or to chop someone's head off of, mm-hmm. it has to do with the bearer, the wielder of that tool, much more than the virtue of the tool itself. Mm. Now, that being said, we are actually very predisposed to pick up on when this tool is being misused against us. And the reason why is because, as I mentioned, we have this ability, this hair trigger to detect inauthenticity. One of my favorite examples of this is there was an experiment that was done where researchers recorded friends laughing together and then strangers trying to laugh together. <laughs> and they would play just one second of those clips for listeners and listeners with 90% accuracy could tell the friends from the strangers. Mm. And it's because as our brains evolved, if someone was up coming up to us, they were a con artist, they were inauthentic, they were a real danger. Like we had to be, we had to be posed to see that. And even though we're making these tools a little bit more explicit, we're trying to to bring them into the light so that you can learn to use them a little bit better. If you try and misuse them, the other person's going to know. Like we've all been in that situation where we're having a conversation with someone and they're doing everything right. And we're like, this person's a jerk. Like They're not actually <laughs> listening to it. They just asked me where I went on vacation because they want to brag about where they went on vacation, right, right. right? We can pick up on that. And But on the other hand, when we learn what these tools are, our brain is hardwired to make them into habits. 
And so the more that we understand what the right tools are, we, Wait, and that's because you start using them and good things happen. So then that absolutely. leads to this kind of and virtuous because, because our brain has this natural craving for communication. Hmm. And so something that helps us communicate becomes becomes very effortless. Hmm. Um, Mike writes in to say, since my parents divorced 10 years ago, I've had trouble communicating with my dad. Mm. Through his substance abuse and different lifestyle choices, we've grown increasingly distant. We find it hard to call him and hard to have discussions about anything deeper than the weather. I'm in my late 30s now and need a, diff- and need a different kind of father than I did when I was younger. Do you have any advice? That is a really great question. And I'm s- sorry, Mike, that you're going through that because mm. parents are really hard and and feeling estranged from a parent or just feeling like we can't connect with a parent, it just feels sad. And and part of it is actually oftentimes that sadness or that anxiety, it becomes a barrier to us. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it can be as simple as just saying, I want to connect with you. I'm having trouble doing that. And it makes me feel sad. And can you tell me what you think we can do to make it better? Mm. Now, the other thing that can happen, and we know that this is true about any kind of hard conversation, whether it's with a parent or or about topics like race or gender or politics, Mm -hmm. is to say at the outset, this is going to be awkward. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about something with you that matters to me a lot, but it is definitely going to be awkward. I'm going to say the wrong thing sometimes unintentionally, and you're going to say the wrong thing, and I promise to forgive you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And then you can ask the deep question, which is basically a version of tell me what this means to you. Like our relationship, me being your son, Mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Like, what's the thing, what's the thing that you hope to carry away from our relationship? And then answer that question yourself and say, look, I want to connect with you, dad, because this is what you mean to me. Mm. At that point, you're really talking about, you're talking about something deep and meaningful and you're talking about truths. Mm. Thanks so much for that, Charles. That's a great answer. Uh, Mike, I hope that helped. Uh, We're talking with journalist Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Writes for The New Yorker, also author of The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. We're going to get to some more uh, calls after the break with your questions and and stories. If you can't get through there, try the email address. It's forum at kqed.org, or you can go on the social channels or go over to the Discord, and you can uh, get in the conversation over there. I'm Alexis Magical. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with journalist Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret of Language. And of course, we are also talking amongst ourselves here on the Forum community, uh, getting your calls and questions, talking about your experiences with successful and miscommunication. Um, let's bring in Joan in Oakland. Welcome, Joan. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call, and I just can't wait to go out and buy this book. It's just really resonating with me, and I'll tell you why. Um, I've been doing a lot of political work, especially since, like, mm-hmm. uh, 2018, and um, doing. I've learned how to do uh, phone banks, so that has been this arc of learning from the initial assumption that mm-hmm. making political phone calls was... You know, you call somebody up that you know very little about, and you're going to have an argument with them, and you're going to convince them that you are right. And I've learned that, on the contrary, um, you do you call people that have been pre-selected for some sort of um, common affinity, and basically you're listening and answering questions and providing information. So the tool that I've learned just in that context, is preparing for the kinds of questions that are likely to come up. So, you know, someone says, um, yeah, my vote doesn't matter. And then you're ready to say, um, say, or what issues are of concern to you? And then you listen, and then you, you have a response. And I just, it's been such a revelatory experience for me. And it's made me realize how deep the art of conversation and listening really mm. is, and that's yeah. why I want to I want to read your book and learn mm. more. But I just thought I would share that because it seems like so much of the communication we have takes place in these different contexts, and we have to learn how to navigate those contexts in order to make mm. the connections that we're looking to make. Ah, Joan, so, great. Yeah, I mean, you picked up on several of the the key themes of the book. I think you're gonna gonna love it if you're interested in these things. And in, in part. You know, Charles, maybe there's two two different ways to answer this, and you can you can take your pick on which road to go down. One is the sort of political conversation or the types of political conversations that people think they want to have or attempt to have. Um, and the the other is is about the stories specifically about trying to bring people with different perspectives together in yeah. the same space. Well, and and that. That different perspectives, that is so present right now, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I felt like we were becoming less and less of a community as a nation. Mm-hmm. And that there's this tool. In in the book, there's a story about um, an experiment that was done where researchers brought in gun control advocates and gun rights. So not just like neutral people. Not neutral people, but like people who like literally were lobbyists for for limiting guns mm. and people who owned 45 guns and would go out and lobby for, you know, no rules whatsoever. Mm. And these are people who usually just screamed at each other. Like they all knew each other. And and the the planners, the, the experimenters, they said, look, we don't want you to convince each other of anything because we don't think that's possible. We just want to see if you can have a civil conversation. And so they brought them all in. And before they started the conversation, they taught them this tool. You had referenced it before, looping for understanding. And they said, look, when you're talking to someone, you need to prove to them that you're listening. And here's a really easy way to do it. Ask a question, what what the caller mm-hmm. just said mm-hmm. she does. Repeat back in your own words what you hear the person say. <laughs> and then the third step, the one that usually you forget is, ask if you got it right. <laughs> Which is like asking for permission to to mm-hmm. say, I understand you. 
Yeah. And that that did not mean that those conversations that everyone walked away agreeing with each other, but they had real conversations. They said they said we found all these things that we had in common that we didn't know we had in common before. Yeah, but it's an interesting question because what was the point of that conversation then? Well, you know? the point of that conversation yeah. was just to understand each other. And mm. and this is what I would say mm. that the caller, is it Ruth? Ruth? Uh, Joan. Joan. The thing that Joan said that I thought was so insightful is the goal of a conversation is not to convince another person. The goal of a conversation is not to let them know how you feel. The goal of a conversation is simply to understand someone else mm-hmm. and to help them understand you. And if you've done that, then you have succeeded. And the mm-hmm. nice thing about that is it lowers it lowers the bar so much on a discussion. Mm-hmm. If I call you up to ask you how you're going to vote and you tell me that you're going to vote for the guy I hate, it's not my job to convince you otherwise. And it's, we also know it's not going to work. And right? it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's a pointless. I'm just wasting my breath. All it's going to yeah. do is, is make right. both of us right. angry. Right. Right. But right. if I understand why you feel the way you do and I convince you because I've listened so closely to listen to me and you understand why I feel the way I do then that conversation has been 100% success. And study after study shows that is how you change people's minds. Yeah. Um, let's get to a couple of comments. I'm going to do two of them, kind of similar, similar core to them. Uh, Mozaho on the Discord writes, I love deep chats, but what I found is I don't share much about myself. I have difficulty reaching out, but I'm available for others. This could be exhausting when others, quote, dump and do not open up for reciprocal engagement. Sarah, along the same lines, I just had a tough conversation with a friend last night. As a shy and precocious child, I perfected the art of listening and responding with care and empathy from a young age. However, as an adult, I have struggled with successfully communicating my wants and needs in the best way with others. I tend to revert to listening and fail to truly communicate my feelings, wants, and needs. How does one learn to balance listening with talking? Um, these are these are great questions. And also, my ten year old last night said this exact same thing about themselves. Oh yeah, to, yeah. That they're they sometimes have a hard time communicating these things. You know, their wants and needs. Oh, and, so let me ask, what yeah. advice did you give? What, what did you say to your ten year old? Oh God! Like oh, it's nine o'clock, kid. No, it's 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 difficult. It's it's really difficult because I can see it. I can see that that's true at times, and it was a it was a little bit of a conversation around. Yes, you really, you look to the network of people and what they all need, and maybe don't spend enough time just thinking at yourself. At, at yourself, right? Hey, so I'll I'll. So what the research tells us is that there is one tip that makes this easier until it becomes more of a habit, Mm -hmm. which is to start by saying, do you mind if I tell you what I'm thinking right now? Or do you mind what I, if I tell you what I'm feeling right now? Hmm. Because oftentimes we don't want to share because we're not certain that the other person wants to listen. But if we get their permission, then it feels a lot easier to say, you know, I've been listening to you and, and, and let me tell you. Let me tell you how, how it affects me. And, and thank you for giving me permission mm. to do that. Thanks for asking about it. Not only that, but when we do that, when we ask someone permission to tell them something, they become much more willing to listen to the conversation. And it turns out this permission thing is really, really useful in other settings mm. as well. There was a study that was done about how conversations end because people often get very anxious. Like, is the other person bored? How do we end this conversation? How do I gracefully walk away from this person at a party? You make a little joke and then you walk away. Well, <laughs> actually, yes, you could do that. You could do that. And another way to do it is to say, hey, look, I, I got to go get, refresh my drink. Or, hey, I know that you're a host and I don't want to take up all your time tonight. But before I let you go, let me ask one more question. 
Because when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're not saying, I'm bored of you, I want to walk away. We're saying, I'm giving you permission for us to end this conversation, and I'm asking your permission, but I'm so interested in you that I want to ask one more thing. <laughs> this Oftentimes in conversations, we don't think about the meta aspect of the conversation. We don't think about signaling what kind mm. of conversation we mm-hmm. want. We don't think about paying attention to whether this person is speaking practically, but they're, everything else tells me that they're feeling emotional right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard once, because our brain has evolved to do this, mm-hmm. it's not hard to do, but... But part of it is just giving ourselves permission by asking others, like, do you mind if I share something with you right hmm. now? Hmm. And I guarantee you they're going to say yes. Hmm. Um, Matthew writes, uh, I taught linguistics for 30 years at various universities in the Bay Area. One of the most effective assignments involved taping a conversation with a partner or friend and then doing a careful transcription. The students had to unpack the conversation turn by turn and name the messages and the meta messages, like you were just referencing, implicit in each move. This exercise saved marriages and routinely created life-changing epiphanies. What are some of the interventions that the super communicators employed to raise these mostly unconscious processes to consciousness? And how self-aware are they of the skills that set them apart? I I think in general, they're pretty aware of them, right? (laughs) Nobody becomes a a super communicator by accident. And and when I started doing this research, I thought that super communicators would all be like super charismatic or extroverts. And it turns out that's not true at all. Like basically super communicators come from all walks of life. Anyone can become a super communicator. It's just a matter of learning a, a handful of skills. And oftentimes the people who do it on their own, it's because if you ask them, they say things like, in high school, I had trouble making friends and I had to figure out how to talk to their kids. Or my parents got divorced and I was the peacemaker between them. I had to think about these conversations really. Just thinking about a conversation half an inch deeper makes us much better at hmm. it. Hmm. And that's what I would say to, to Matthew's question. The thing that super communicators do is they pay just a little bit more attention to what's going on and they let you know that they're paying attention. They let you know that they want to connect with you. Hmm. Let's go to um, Asaf in Oakland. Welcome. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, and thanks for the, the tip about ending up a conversation because uh, I felt that at the end of the interview, when it becomes very awkward and you're saying bye, <laughs> and it's, you know, just like, call me. <laughs> um, I was uh, interested, uh, having immigrated to the Bay Area about 10 years ago, the very different uh, st- uh, communication style. Mm-hmm. Well, I came from Tel Aviv. Uh, I think it's more prevalent in um, just a different communication style. I grew up a shy person. I was, I was a good listener. I could call back things after just being quiet and listening. And I uh, learned that it wasn't helping me uh, making uh, any new friends here. Like, uh, I think people were very, I think it's politeness, but they don't ask you deep questions. They don't uh, mm. uh so I had to start talking about myself, which was very yeah. awkward at first. <laughs> I got better at it, and like, and I'm, I understood that like I'm offering a piece of my story so people feel easier to share. Um, mm-hmm. So I got better at that. I think I became a worse listener with time <laughs> because of that. Asif, that's such an interesting, um, such an interesting dynamic that you brought up of kind of different communication styles. I mean, the classic, you know, just within the U.S. would be the New Yorkers versus like you know the chill <laughs> West Coast people. Um, and I fully 
fall into the chill West Coast person <laughs> bucket. And I and do you I, I know that this book is an attempt to lay out more universal rules, but there must be some things that in different cultures and in different places are are different. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the, there are unwritten rules in every country, right? About how how we speak to each other, how we what's polite to ask and what we need to know each other a little bit better before we ask. And yet undergirding each of those rules, the reason those rules exist is often to get to the same place, which is to allow us to have a real conversation. Hmm. So if I'm if I'm talking to someone from New York and, I, and they're brash and they talk fast, I, I know that it's not because they're a jerk and they hate me. It's because they're from New York. And 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 therefore I can kind of do the same thing or I, I just accept it. Or if they're from I live in Santa Cruz, California, if they live in Santa Cruz and like, hey man, like let's just like chill for a little while. I know it's not because well they they might be on something at that yes. particular moment. But mm-hmm. but I know it's not because they're bored of me. It's because that's how they speak. But the thing that's important is just to remind myself different types of communication in different places have slightly different rules, but those rules are designed to help us connect with each other. And the same mm. is true when you go online. To align, right. Yeah, to align. Yeah. And when you go online, right? Like when we're, we all know that sending an email is different from sending a text is different from talking to someone face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And when we usually make a mistake, it's when we forget to remind ourselves that there are slightly different rules for different types of communication, mm. different formats of communication. But if we remind ourselves, then- then we know what to do. Although I also like when people break those norms. Like I have a, I have a friend who sends like these amazing Victorian style emails. <laughs> you know, she's much older and she learned to write. You know, in a letter writing era, so you get these emails and you're like, this is the greatest thing of all time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, let's bring in um, Shivangi uh, in San Jose. Welcome. Hi. So um, my name is Shivangi, and one thing that I've noticed is there's a lot of communication right up front about it when I introduce myself or when Mm. I call someone. Mm. Uh, And I find that it's, I think it's well-intentioned. It's a a way to maybe start communication, but it's, oh, that's such an interesting name. Where is that from? It's beautiful. (laughs) I love a compliment, but... happening is it's more othering than it is Mm, um so you know 20 years ago people would have said that's so exotic people don't really say that anymore um tiny progress tiny progress (laughs) a little bit and so there's a whole conversation where instead of connecting i'm just like Mm. Please just let me transact. I don't want to connect anymore. Mm. You know, this is really interesting because, you know, one of the, Sean, stay stay with us. Uh, The other, the third thing that happens in conversation, the third type of conversation is who are we, right? Yeah, social And this kind of feels to me like it's inappropriately bringing the who are we kind of conversation into the please, I'd like to make this appointment uh, for the thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Let's yeah. not, yeah. yeah. I, I, you're exactly right. This is this is a social conversation, and it's a conversation where, and, and Shivangi, tell me if I'm, if I'm getting this wrong. My guess is it feels a little bit alienating because it feels like they are pushing you into a corner mm. where it's, the fact that you're a mom, that you're a patient, that you're a, a professional, mm. none of that matters to them. They're just saying like, right. oh, you have a weird name. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that doesn't feel but, good, right? Yeah. That feels terrible. And you don't want every aspect of you commented upon, right? Mm. If it was an in-person conversation mm. and you had, you know, a certain type of hair or a scar, like you wouldn't want that commented on. No, yeah. no. And and 
And one of the ways now, first of all, let me just say you have no obligation to educate other people on how to be better in conversations. You you can do whatever you want. But if this is something where where you want to to be a force for good in the world around this, I think one of the things you can do is you can bring these other social identities to the table. Right. You can say, oh, thank you that you asked about my name. It's interesting because, like, I'm a mom of two kids and I'm also a doctor. And, you know, in those <laughs> settings, like the what people usually call me is like Dr. Patel. And and I think that the more identities that we bring to the to the conversation, the more we help or force the other person to see us as mm something beyond a stereotype. Hmm. And we see this in social conversation after social conversation, that when we're talking about race, or we're talking about politics, or we're talking about gender, when we say, oh, you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, so you must feel X and I must feel Y, no one ever feels mm. good coming out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. But when I say to you, you're a Democrat, but I know you're also a gun owner, and I know that you're a father of two kids, and I know that you, mm. you, you also have property and you pay taxes, I'm wondering with all those different hats on, how do you see this issue of mm. the presidential election? Mm. That's when the conversation starts to feel good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Shivangi, thank you so much for that call and for that that observation. Um, and um, we you. we have just a, a little bit of time left here. So I just Nancy writes in to say, does Charles address the gender and power issues in communicating connections? Power and gender differences between men and women affect communication, and it's often women that are working on communication techniques like this in this book, but men are not. I would also add a lot of queer and non-binary people uh, also are working on a lot of these kinds of things as well. Can you um, quickly address you know, how you deal with that in the book? Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting research on this, right, that, that women and queer individuals and, and anyone who's not who's not in the majority isn't they have to think a little bit harder about how they communicate. And and unfortunately, this is a social problem that no one tool solves, except to say that when we do become better at communication, it becomes easier. Hmm. And so hopefully that removes some of those barriers and it helps level out the playing field so that everyone can speak their piece and hear each other yeah. openly. We have been talking with journalist Charles Duhigg about his new book, Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. You can also read him in The New Yorker and his previous books, including The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio, Charles. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.